It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 203, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, Apple announcements. Is computer sharing back? AI's news for today. Hey there, Gary. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. Uh, it's been a busy day for me. Busy day, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Apple's announcements. Oh, of yeah, twice a year they have a big show. And uh, every September now, it's just their iPhone stuff. So they announce new iPhones, a new Apple Watch. Um, pretty much, uh, you know, the products they announced were pretty much as expected. A couple minor surprises for... Say, any, any real surprises or major yeah. stuff? I mean, I, I've, I've looked at some headlines so far, and it seems, to be honest, kind of underwhelming. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, to be fair, their last announcement, they announced an entire new product, right? So they so <laughs> they don't do that every year. Well, so, I wasn't expecting know, like, a new product, but yeah. 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 But, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting. I think they're getting better at controlling rumors because the, the rumors were about small features and a lot of them were just wrong. I mean, not in any major way. Nobody predicted some sort of like external antenna or whatever for you know, an iPhone. <laughs> you know, there were just like minor things like, for instance, uh, they predicted the largest model would have a 6x zoom and it has a 5x zoom um off by one <laughs> yeah off by one but you know it's it is um interesting that you know how are you off by one in a rumor like right. did you type it wrong did you hear it wrong when you overheard an engineer talking at a bar i don't know but there were a lot of different little things uh, uh, I, probably the biggest thing that they got wrong was over and over again we were hit over the head last month that the prices were going to go up and because it you know inflation there's been inflation right prices have gone up everywhere i mean mm-hmm. it definitely i used to be able to like spend 10 bucks on lunch now 20 it's 20, you know yep. i mean there's certain things that so having iphones you know iphones are expensive but you know you got they didn't go up last year when you know inflation was starting to bite um and everybody thought well it's time they're gonna have to go up um so that was the rumor they're all going up they didn't. Prices remain the same. If anything, one thing that changed is uh, there's one or maybe two of the models had lower end configurations for memory mm-hmm. that was probably, or you know, storage really, mm-hmm. that was probably not advisable to get those, you know, base configurations anyway. Um, and they eliminated that. So the newer models start at a higher base storage, 128 mm-hmm. gigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that price for the 128 gig iPhone 15 and the 128 gig iPhone 14 are the same, the same price. Hmm. So you just don't have the lower option. But looking at it that way, then you also have to say, well, if your goal is to save money and get a less capable phone, guess what? The iPhone 13 still for sale. The iPhone 14 still for sale. There's an iPhone SE still for sale. So, you know, you have the lower priced options. Uh, and you, you always do. So going and saying, oh, but you can't get the base model for $100 less anymore. It's like, well, you can. You should just get the iPhone 14 base model. Right, um, right. You know. So so yeah, it was interesting. They kept the price. Even the prices on the higher end models, you think, well, those surely will go up. Man, they didn't really. Um, and actually, I saw one article that for some reason, one of the models is 100 pounds less in Britain now. Than last huh. year's equivalent model, huh. you know. So Apple, I mean, you know that they they do things to improve prices, like internally, right? They first of all, a lot, a lot of times when they come out with new phones and they have new parts, it's the first time companies are mass producing those specific little items that go into them. And then the second year, it's like, well, they've been mass producing them for a year now, right. so the price goes down. So you know, Apple can get cheap, source cheaper prices. They change the materials they change the processes they're always trying to streamline things and i'll bet that they they are going to be making more money off of these iphones but not because they're charging more but because this process or this method of doing something is is a little bit nicer yeah so there's that other than that let's see what do we got we got um uh let's see the the big the most interesting new feature of the new apple watch the apple watch series nine is a feature that detects if you tap your index finger to your thumb and and do a double tap. Wait, what? And <laughs> yeah, so the, the on the hand your watch you, you have the watch on. If you take your index finger and thumb and kind of do a little pinch thing, wow. you know, just tap your thumb. If you look at your wrist, 
while you're doing that, like under where your watch would be, mm-hmm. you could see there's there are things going on, right? There's a pattern to kind of the, what your muscles and tendons or stuff are doing underneath. So they're using the the kind of neural network parts of the processor to basically figure out that movement from something else. And they've basically allowed you to do kind of the primary action through that. A primary action would be something like you get a phone call, you glance at your watch, and it says, wife is calling. Now I have to actually reach with my other hand and oh, tap, tap the little re- right. receive, you know, oh, you know, green button. But now I'll be able to actually tap with my index finger or my thumb, which is useful, say, if you're carrying like bags of groceries upstairs and you're like, oh, I can still get this tap, tap with my, you know, index finger and thumb. And it does whatever the primary thing is. And you answer a phone call or whatever. So that's kind of neat, a neat little function. Uh, But besides that, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, an improved processor and uh, all all sorts of stuff like that. I, 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 don't know if there's any huge reason to upgrade if you just got an eight, like a series eight, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, if you've got a, uh, you know, if you've got a much older one and you were just waiting, well, I don't want to get the eight. I want to get the nine. Um, then probably it makes sense to, to get the nine at this point. Uh, let's see what else do they come up with the watch, uh, you know, brighter screen and dimmer screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. What that means is that the, the dimmest dim it can get to, which is important in a watch. Yes. Now, uh, apparently one nit. That's really dim. That's like probably you can't see it unless you're in a pitch black room, which sometimes we are. Sometimes we're in the middle of the night or whatever. So that's nice. Um, uh, Let's see. Oh, and they announced there's a lot of today's thing about uh, uh, environmental stuff, like where they are and all. And they announced the Apple Watch is the first carbon zero product right they were able to get the apple watch manufacturing process and shipping and all that all the way down to to carbon neutral um they have plans to get everything to carbon neutral by 2030 but Mm -hmm. the apple watch i guess is there now with this new new model and one of the things they've done is they have um uh eliminated leather throughout apple so they said any new product they come out with from now on it's never going to use leather because they've had leather cases, they've had leather right. bands and everything right. in the past. So that's that's interesting because, of course, yeah, there's a big carbon footprint to leather because it comes from animals. Right. Um, and they've, they're they developing new things. And uh, one of the things they developed was a, basically a fabric band called Fine Woven, which will be interesting to actually see what that is. Although, you know, sil- uh, silicone bands are probably, and that's what I use. And, um, anyway, uh, so that's probably going to be the option for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that was good to see them do that. I, you know, I, I like them doing that. It was kind of weird having Apple. It, it felt weird. Apple had leather products in their lineup. Right. It felt right. not quite right. Like you know, it's like not, eh, not I mean, quite Apple. That, yeah. You know, I mean, at this point, I even buy like you know vegan belts, right? Because I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I like the idea of a leather belt. You know, I mean, it, that's the look of a belt and mm-hmm. all that, but you no longer need to actually buy a belt that does that, that is made from an animal. You can right. actually buy vegan leather belts. They're just imitation leather belts and you can't really tell the difference. Um, what else? Let's see. Uh, there's, let's see, I guess onto the iPhone 15. Cause that was, you know, the big part. Um, right. it, four models just like before. So, large and small or more like large and medium sizes for both the regular and pro models. So four actual models to choose from the base model, the, you know, the consumer model gets the 48 megapixel camera now that only the pro models had before. Um, so, so that's good. That allows them to do a two X telephoto using no actual lenses. It just take, takes the picture using the center of the, of the CCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and a cool feature is I don't know I mean I know you don't have an iPhone but um, I I guess Android phones probably have the same thing where there's there's a portrait mode and there's a regular photo mode regular photo modes general purpose portrait mode will take use both le- you know both lenses and try to get a really good shot of a person mm-hmm. so they're taking the background with one the person with the other you can do effects like lighting effects background versus the person all of that. Mm-hmm. 
problem with it is, is you have to switch to it, right? So you're like, you go to take a picture of somebody and you're like, oh, let me do this in portrait mode. Great. But it, I never remember to do that. I'm right. <laughs> just like, yep. oh, I'm taking a picture of somebody, click and I'm done. So the new thing uh, is that it will actually still, it'll recognize when there's a person there and still take the, the, you know, what it needs for the portrait mode, even though it'll take it as a regular photo. And then after you take the photo, you can then go and say, oh, let me go in here and switch that photo that I took five minutes ago to portrait mode. And no it question. has the data. When it does that, mm -hmm. um, in a sense, it's taking both a normal yes. photo and a portrait mode at the same time. Yeah. Does it save both of them? In other words, well, I, we yeah. don't know yet because okay. nobody has the phone, but we have a big, <clears throat> big clue is that they already have a feature on the, at least it's on the pro models where we've got the wide lens and the normal lens. Right. And what you can do is you can take a normal picture and then afterwards, for a period of time, you can go in and zoom out a bit because it actually took the wide anyway. Hmm. And it saved it there, but it's got a timer on it. And I don't remember what the timer is. So I keep thinking it's 15 minutes, but that might not be right. It might be 15 days for all I know, but it's probably like 15 minutes or an hour or whatever. And it's probably not synced. Like it's not syncing that to iCloud. It's just local, right? It's a little local cached bit that's going to be saved for a while. So you have a little bit of time to change your mind. But it, if you forget about it, then it's just gone, which is kind of how you want it. I, I'll i bet they're doing the same thing here. They're taking both pictures. The other one's kind of cached locally. And then after a period of time, it just expires. And you, there's nothing for you to do except just you don't even have to pay attention. It's just you have that little bit of like, oops, I should have taken that in portrait mode. Oh, wait a minute. I can go back in and actually change it to portrait mode. I'm, you know, being the digital pack rat that I am, mm -hmm. um, I want the option to set that time to be infinite, right? Um, yeah. And I, I want, I, if it's going to take both, I want it to save both. And I want both of them to be available when I, um, you know, offload the yeah. pictures and and fire up Photoshop so that I can make my decision on which one to use um, at the last minute. Uh, but you still than... have the option to go to portrait. I mean, if you remember to go to portrait mode, then it's saving that forever, right? And then you could just take your portrait mode and just turn off all the features, you know, just make it like a regular photo. Um, you don't have to use, you don't have to do the bokeh on the background or whatever, you right? Can, you know, so I mean, and the thing is, you guess you still have that option. Just remember to actually do portrait mode when you want portrait mode um, to to have that. So um, I, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm in that bucket where. Um... Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, for example, in my camera, uh, my, my regular camera, I al always shoot raw, but I will sometimes have it save both JPEG and raw. Right. Sure. Um, it's the same thing. It's the exact same image, but they have different uh, characteristics and different usages. And this seems like that even more so. Um, you know, the, the, the normal photo, it's not in portrait mode, would be useful for some things. Um, and mm. then the portrait mode, it'd be nice to have that available should you decide later on that you need to do something. Anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll see what uh, it turns out. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how it is. Maybe they will have that feature. I don't know. The um, uh, Let's see. What else do they have? Oh, so the ca just sticking with the cameras, uh, on the pro models, of course, which have three cameras, uh, the there's a zoom on the three on the uh the cameras but it's a different one depending upon the size so if you get the standard size a 6.1 inch called the iphone 15 pro you have a 3x zoom on the telephoto which is what you have now on the 14. but if you get the larger the 6.7 inch then you get a 5x zoom and the way they do that the prediction was it was going to be a periscope type of thing, which is in some right. Android Yeah, you talked phones. about that last week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, but it's a it's a system of prisms. So it's actually not a simple one mirror bend. It is, it looks like three prisms in there doing a little diagonal thing. Weird. It's kind of interesting. They show a, yeah. yeah, they showed a little image of like what it looks like inside a graphic and it, you know, bounces around on these little prisms. Um, to get that length in inside the case, even though there's really not the depth of the, you know, the thickness of the phone to do it. So sure. you get the the five X. So that's uh, kind of neat. Um, and that's the dilemma for me actually now is I prefer the smaller screen. Uh, right now, 
my iPhone is the smaller size because for a couple models, Apple's just been putting the same cameras in the Pro and Pro Max uh, phones. So all you do is get the bigger screen at the max size. So I'm like, fine, I'll get the smaller screen, smaller, you know, easier to carry with you. But now the bigger size is the one with the 5X zoom. And uh, so now I have to think about it. Like, do I really want, you know, on the, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, you know, the 5X could be the difference between me getting a shot and not getting a shot. Mm -hmm. Right. On the other hand, probably not. Like, probably I'll go through the next two years with that phone. And how many opportunities will I have missed, really? Because right. I had a 3X instead of 5X, right? And how many opportunities in comparison will I miss even with the 5X? Because I didn't have like a camera with the real lens, <laughs> you know? So it's, so the 5X is not going to solve the problem. The 5X will just, you know, fill in a little gray area. And the the shots of the you know eagle sitting in the tree as I walk through town uh, is still not going to be something I'll be able to get with the iPhone. It's so. funny because I was you know after you were talking about uh, the iPhone, all the new stuff and so forth, I was going to ask you know did this reach the threshold for you to uh, to upgrade? Oh, it'll definitely. I, I mean, it's definitely time for me to upgrade. I'm on a 13 now, and I'm trying to do every other year. Um, I mean, I used to do every year because of what I do and I talk about, it. but it, at some point it's just like, boy, every year, I don't know. It's just not enough that they're, they're pushing and, and there are plenty of videos for me to make and tutorials for me to do. I don't need to get it every year. Right. Uh, and I, I don't know if I, if I wasn't making tutorial videos, I don't know if I'd go from a, I have a 13 pro. I don't know if I go from the 13 pro to the 15 pro, like, I mean, there's stuff I want, but there's nothing I need. And my 13 Pro is in really good shape. It still gets great battery life. Mm -hmm. It still is just, I mean, it, it's really, it charges along. And I have a good comparison because I do all my tutorials using an iPhone 11 Pro. <laughs> I've got that set up to be like a demo demo accounts on everything, right? Right. So I could go and I could show the iPhone 11 Pro easily. And you're, you're not going to see anything on that phone. Whereas, you know, the phones are horrible to do tutorials on. It's yeah. so easy to just jump to a screen that shows your actual phone number or your, you know, friends <laughs> and family's phone numbers or your email address or like, you know, all sorts of stuff that are like, you know, can't be in a tutorial. So having like a demo phone just makes life so much easier. So I go between the 11 to do a, a tutorial and the 13. And what usually happens is I'll see a feature I want to I want to demo on the phone I'm you know actually using the 13, and I'll say oh I got to show this, and then I'll go to the 11, and then it's always like oh I hope the 11 does this. I hope that this isn't a feature I lose, and I'm not running into that with the 11 to 13 like I right. was before. Like you know maybe a, a iPhone 8 to iPhone 6, and I'm like oh the iPhone 6 can't do anything the iPhone 8 does. Right. You know this is horrible. But I'm still like, oh, everything I love on the iPhone 13, the iPhone 11 does just fine. So now to jump to an iPhone 15, I don't know. I probably will. I mean, would I So if you well. do that, would the 13 become your demo phone? Exactly. Okay. It would. Yep. It would. Trickle down. So, yep. Yeah. And uh, exactly. Trickle down, which it's it sucks because, you know, a lot of people are getting these uh, trade, you do trade-ins with Apple. Oh, right. Uh, and you get you can get a few hundred dollars off your phone yeah, and so not every... have it lying around. Every trade-in I've seen, certainly in the in the Android world, has been, you know, here's this phone you paid a thousand dollars for. Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah, we'll give you twenty-five bucks. I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> Apple's better if you're like a, a trading in. I don't know what it is now, but trading an iPhone 13 should be decent. They're still selling them, and they'll definitely be selling refurbished iPhone 13s for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think they give you a decent price on that. It's one of the things that Apple's kind of known for is is as long as you don't wait like five years it's going to have some sort of value, but yeah, but people that are like, you know, the iPhone 11, I'm sure doesn't have much of a trading value at all, right. but you know, the 13 probably does, but I don't get to do that. Cause I'll keep the iPhone 13 as my trickle down. The iPhone 11 is too old to be traded in. That goes in a box alongside a whole bunch of other <laughs> old phones, you know, which I, I, you know, I don't know. The thing is at least they don't take up the same space as, you know, old Macs or whatever. So they uh, save them long enough and they become collector's items. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah, it is yeah. neat to look at the original. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, they added, so the iPhone 14 added satellite, uh, you know, being able to talk to satellites. Oh, right, yes. For emergency stuff. So you can contact emergency rescue um, when you have no other way to contact them using the satellite feature. They 
they're adding to that roadside assistance. Oh. And only in the United States, because they are um, partnering with AAA. Interesting. Yeah, which is interesting because I've maintained a AAA membership my whole life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so having uh, AAA now, it's like, it's like, oh, you get it as part of your AAA membership, or you have to pay extra if you don't have a AAA membership. I was like, oh, I already, I would have this feature already. So yeah, yeah if I was out in the middle of nowhere and car breaks down or gets a flat or whatever, and it's a lot more likely to get run into trouble when you're in the middle of nowhere, believe me, um, you could actually use satellite to contact, uh, you, it would go through AAA and somebody and, will be dispatched. And to be clear, that's really only useful, I guess, as you say, out in the middle of nowhere where you're out of yeah. cell coverage. Cause yeah, because if, you, if you're in- You got cell in, coverage, just make the call, yeah. Yeah, just make the call to, yeah, so you got that. Um, another, so another big thing, uh, it was, of course, uh, this was expected, uh, USB-C now. So the lightning connector is dead. It's USB-C for the new iPhones. Um, for the base model iPhones, it really makes no difference. Like you already had a cable that was USB-C on one end right, and lightning on the other. And the only thing the lightning uh, end connected to was your iPhone, right? So... You essentially, as soon as you connect that to your iPhone, you had USB-C at the other end and plug that into a charging port, plug that into, you know, a computer for data transfer, whatever it was. Right. Now you just have USB-C at both ends of the cable with USB-C uh, on the iPhone itself. It doesn't change what you can do with that port. It just changes the shape of it. And it, but it does make it useful for bringing less you know, fewer cables with you. Exactly. You, know, you have a nice little charging brick and you have a laptop and a tablet and your iPhone and they all use USB-C. If you remember to bring one USB-C cable, you can charge up everything. You're done. Yeah. So that's yep. nice. Now it, uh, and one of the reasons it doesn't make a difference for the, the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 plus the bigger size is because it's still USB two speeds, right? Which is what lightning was. Um, but on the iPhone 15 Pro, there's a new processor in it. And one of the big changes for this processor is that it has a USB-C, uh, USB, uh, uh, you know, processor on it. You know, the, the, the part that handles or USB, you know, um, I don't know what they call it. They can, they need something in there, but it can handle that. So it's actually part of the chip, part of the chip. Interesting. And that means that the pro models, cause they have this chip in it. They do actually have USB three speeds. Excellent. And they even showed it off. They already enabling things on it. One of the things you can do is you can shoot very high resolution photography with one of these pro models hooked up to a cable to a computer. And you take the photo with the iPhone and it instantly shows up on the computer. Right. So like a stu photo studio setup, you could just be using the iPhone as your camera for you know, taking these pictures and getting them set. You don't have to, you know, okay, they're on the iPhone now. Now I have to wait for the cloud or I have to connect and, and download them. So that would only be possible with USB 3 speeds. Um, so that was really cool. Um, let's see, what else? So the, the higher end models, like I said, there's a, a brand new uh, processor. There's also, they replaced the switch with a button um, called the action button. And the action, so the switch was a mute switch that has been there since day one, since iPhone one. And now it's got a button and the button by default just acts like the switch. You just press it to mute or unmute the, uh, you get haptic feedback. So you can kind of tell which one it's, you just did mm -hmm. if you pressed it, but you can now configure it to do different things like turn the flashlight on or off or use as the camera shutter button. Um, and you can hook it up and say, I want it to run a shortcut. Shortcuts is the automation software that comes right. on an iPhone. So you can actually say, oh, I want it to run this shortcut, which means that you could have it almost do anything. <laughs> you know, you can have it run some obscure routine to do all sorts of different things all at once because um, you wired that action button to this sh shortcut. So so that's kind of a benefit of the pro model there because that'll be handy to have. Um Let's see. Oh, the cameras. We talked about what's on the Pro. You could do video 4K, 60 frames per second oh. on the Pro models. Yep. Um, so that's kind of cool. And that's pretty much like the main, there was a voice isolation thing that you could do voice isolation now when you when you talk. That was kind of neat. 
Um, we've talked about voice isolation software for our computers a lot. It sounded just like that, just just a feature of the yeah. i uh, of the phone app. I was going to say you're, you're soaking in it because I'm using that mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. And the um, the only other thing they announced was new iCloud storage tiers. So for a while now, the highest tier for iCloud is two terabytes. Well, there's a tricky way to get four terabytes. Um, the They announced there's going to be six and 12 terabyte tiers. Mm -hmm. So that'll make a lot of people happy because I know I get people asking from time to time, oh, two, two isn't enough. It's strange because it's enough for me. <laughs> but then it isn't enough if I actually started storing my like tutorial video stuff in it. You know, Correct. I generate yeah, yeah. I generate like 10 to 20 gigs a day doing that. Um, but I don't store those in the cloud. I just do all my right. work locally and then I right. upload it and I'm done. Uh, but there are other people that their work involves actually storing lots of data in their in their you know cloud storage solution they want all their things and two terabytes isn't enough so having the options for six and 12 and i saw an article that i saw one article that predicted the prices and another article that claimed that these were the prices but last time i checked apple hadn't post hadn't posted the prices but they were comparable to google's cloud prices google has a five and ten terabyte tier and Apple 6 and 12 were like the equivalent dollar amounts that right. you know, per cost, terabyte. Cost per terabyte, yeah. 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 Yeah, every once in a while I do that math um, between the various storage providers. I don't factor in iCloud just because I don't use iCloud. But it's an interesting right. exercise to run because um, it's kind of surprising sometimes how different they can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and I think, you know, there's going to be, um, I think of, uh, I saw one complaint that was interesting about the low end. The low end free tier is like five gigs. And they have it, you know, the, people thought, well, if they're going to do this, why not just up that low end to like 10 gigs, you know, give people a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the five gigs is basically for lots of people, lots of people that just don't store data. Right. I know it's hard for probably anybody that listens to this show. And probably most of the people that actually watch my tutorials to imagine that they're people that just don't use computer data. They just don't. They they use their phone to make phone calls, send text messages, uh, take a small number of pictures, you know. And they don't make files. They don't edit video. They don't you know so, produce content. They're not creators. They're just users. And five gigabytes is enough to back up all your contacts. I your, don't your know about that. Stuff. Here's the thing. So I've 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 been getting uh, pestered by iCloud uh, repeatedly. As you say, it's five gigabytes, and that's fine. It keeps telling me that I'm running out of space, um, and the space that's being taken up is not my data because I put that elsewhere. It's not my photos. I put that elsewhere. Um, it's like seventy five percent of the space that I use is um, backups of my iPad. Okay. So, so yeah, so there's some app or apps you're using on your iPad that are storing a lot of data. I know that. Not, not, not that I told it to, but. Well, no, I mean, but even like, like a Kindle app might have a bunch of books in there, okay. uh, a streaming app like Netflix or something. You may have downloaded a TV show or two. Mm -hmm. um, some of those don't, I forget what the, the criteria is, whether the developers have the ability to say, yeah, never back this up. Like this is like streaming data or whatever. Right. But uh, you can go into the to the storage settings on the iPad and look to see which apps are storing the most data. Okay. And and maybe find the culprit there. I will. I will do that. I will absolutely do that. Um, yes. And it's funny because it's very much like um, what a lot of folks. Uh, complain about Microsoft about in OneDrive. Uh, Microsoft has made some really bizarre decisions over the course of the last 12 months about how OneDrive integrates with the rest of its ecosystems. And one, one side effect is that um, the simplest solution, Microsoft has architected it such that the simplest solution is to throw money at them. Um, the other solutions of actually managing the amount of space you're using have become uh, significantly more complex. So this kind of has that same feel. Um, along those lines, by Apple was more than happy to willing, more than willing to uh, to sell you more storage. Oh, of course, yeah, no, that's a big part of their uh, their thing. I, I'm wondering what the um, I do the the uh, Apple One plan, which is uh, everything 
I pay, uh, it used to be 30 bucks a month. I think it's more, I think it's 32 or 34 or something mm-hmm. like that. And I get everything at much lower price than if I had them all separate. Right. And since I'm going to do a decent amount of storage and I'm going to do Apple TV, Apple, you know, Apple TV plus I see the shows and, um, I, you know, it's, it's nice to just do that and then get all the other benefits and even little things like Apple news plus, you know, I don't, I don't go to the Apple news app and like read the magazine articles all the time. But sometimes it's really nice when I see, you know, somebody mentioned somewhere that there's an article in Rolling Stone or Wired or something. And then I'm like, oh, I, wait a minute, I get that through Apple News Plus. It's like one of the magazines I get. And I could actually go in and, and look at it. Um, and then even some of the links I click, like I'll go to Apple News and I'll re- start reading an article and realize, oh, wait, this is, I wouldn't actually be able to read this article if I didn't have that Apple One subscription. But the thing is, what will happen now that they have these higher tiers, because the Apple One subscription included the highest tier, two terabytes. I don't think it's going to include six or 12, right? I think they're probably going to keep two terabytes as the Apple One you know, subscription. So if I wanted to go to six, what do I need to do? Now, right. I don't like it. It doesn't matter to me because I'm not even close to using the two terabytes. Uh, believe it or not, it's strange to think about. But once you take away my big videos, right? That I use, you know, the, the big video editing files, I, I actually don't use that much data, which you know, it shocks me sometimes when I look at my iCloud storage. I'm like, boy, I'm not even close. I mean, I'm above like the next, the lower tier, right? But I'm not even close to filling up two terabytes of cloud storage. So it's funny. I just did a search on my the amount of space that my uh, videos for 2023 have taken up. And it's uh, 657 gigabytes. So I'm not even up to a terabyte there. Um, what's interesting is a lot of the disk space, or I'm sorry, online space that I end up using, typically Google Drive or Google One is what it's called, um, is because that turned out when I did the math, that was the cheapest one, uh, is where I do a lot of my offsite backups for the business. So things like servers and machines and so forth get uploaded there periodically. Right. But I'm going to have to take a look at Apple One because. Um, uh, I'm I'm on the cusp of re-enabling my Apple TV because there's, you know, we, we've reached critical mass on the number of things that are available there that I want to see. Um, I just want to have to, you know, work out what I get for that. What's interesting too is that I have, I have so much um, cloud storage available to me. Uh, you know, of course, I've got Microsoft Office, which gives me a terabyte. I have a Dropbox plan because I do a tremendous amount of stuff with Dropbox. It's where I have all my photos stored and actually where I share a lot of the photos out of. Um, and I've got, um, oh gosh, there's a third one in there that I'm thinking about. Google Drive, Google One, Microsoft Office, uh, uh, Dropbox. So between those, I think I've got like six terabytes. And then yeah. it dawned on me, I ended up uh, signing up for ProtonMail some years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually signed up for what they call their visionary account, which basically is the same thing. It gets you everything that they ever do. And uh, they, since that happened, they created their own Proton Drive, uh, which now finally has a, a, a PC, a Windows synchronization program. But um, boom, six more terabytes of storage space. So, I mean, I'm just swimming in it and I don't even know what to do with it all. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I think I only have, um, Google drive. And the Mm -hmm. only reason I have Google drive, you know, besides iCloud, the only reason I have a Google drive is because my server configuration had it, had a convenient little checkbox just to back up to Google drive. And I was like, wait a minute. So for, I forgot what I paid, like six, $60 $60 a year, $90 a year, something like I that. Think 90 comes to mind, but yeah, yeah 90, yeah. I mean, 90 bucks a year and I'd have enough storage to back up all my servers. And then yes. this checkbox does it daily and done. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to beat that, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. I was going to say, you're not really paying for the space as much as you are paying for the incredible convenience of just oh, checking a yeah. checkbox. I, I don't even have Google Drive installed anywhere oh, right yeah. like if i want to actually go get one of those backups i need to go to drive.google.com and log right. in and then you know get the file so I don't, i'm not even using it as a cloud service on my computers at all that's funny mm. what's ironic is that we're both sitting here looking at a document in google drives well <laughs> yeah okay that's but i mean that would easily be covered by the base amount uh, that, would, that would get covered by any of the other services. If yeah, our little, yeah, our little text <laughs> document and stuff. So, cool. So, yeah. Okay. Um, 
So what yeah. else? So last week, um, you talked about Baldur's Gate mm-hmm. and how you were essentially uh, renting a remote computer. Is yep. that a fair fair description? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Question for you. Yeah. What is the first computer that you actually ever used? Hmm. Like, well, that would have been uh, like a mainframe computer back when I was in elementary school. Is that what you mean? Or do you mean was, like actually like used it for work and no, it's whatever. I mean, just what yeah, the first, first con- that, call it first, first contact. First contact was a, a, a terminal that didn't even have a screen. It just printed out paper and it was hooked up to a PDP uh, one computer uh, at school district headquarters in Philadelphia. So did you ever move on to um, what at that time they were referred to as a timesharing system? Yeah, I'm, uh, I kind of did. my One of my first jobs was on a Prime mainframe. Remember, do you ever use a Prime or here? I've never used Prime? it, but the name's familiar. Yeah. yeah, Prime, and they spelled it with a one instead of an I. Um, <laughs> and that was, that, so that was basically, I went into work, and this was in the mid to late 80s, and I went into work, and we had terminals. Uh, what were those terminals called? They were like super standard terminals they had like a name and everybody knew what they were you know what i'm talking about they were like ah. anyway yeah, crt terminals i mean the no screen, no yeah they were crt or... screen with a keyboard um they were the, the old the heath kit uh no. lookalikes were they well they were they kind of did look like that but they had a name but yeah. that like every it was like the industry it was like the entire world for a it few is, years right 19 or something like that something like that it was like yeah. the, the entire and even even to this day there's software that's still classifies itself as emulates these right. terminals anyway right. yep. um so it, we sat with one of those and then yeah there was it was basically there were computers that were in the basement and we were all just logged into them and and working on those computers the reason i ask about that is because um so in my case i started with a mainframe and i actually never did do timeshare systems i ended up going directly to microprocessors and individual computers but what what cracked me up about both the Baldur's Gate thing um, and what you've just described is that it seems like a lot of what we're doing is going back to um, that same kind of uh, centralized mentality. The, the thing that came to mind when we were talking about that last week is that you can now rent, because that's really the, the way, um, the, the correct description when you think about it, you can rent a Windows machine um, in the cloud. And uh, both Azure uh, makes it available. Uh, Amazon AWS mm-hmm. does that. Just like I currently rent um, a couple, actually I've got four um, Ubuntu Linux servers or servers running Ubuntu Linux, um, I could just as easily set up uh, servers at AWS or Azure running uh, Windows, Windows Server as it turns out to be. But you know, it's the same basic idea. So rather than um, having a, a full fully powered machine on, you know, next to your desk, you run remote desktop on whatever computer you happen to have in front of you. And then the real horsepower is, you know, in, in a data center somewhere. Um, to me, it's back to time sharing, right? We've got this centralized, yep. we've got this centralized collection of hardware um, that we're all sharing. And when I think about it too, the, the machine, for example, that runs Ask Leo, to me, it looks like a machine. It looks like a standalone Unix machine. Uh, but in reality, of course, um, it is simply a slice of what is probably a much larger machine. Uh, you know, I've got, I think it is four CPUs allocated to it. And, I, you know, the processors that I've seen get used for this kind of stuff have like 64 or 128 or even more CPUs these days. Um, and yeah, they're just giving me a slice. I'm, I'm sharing the hardware. Uh, so my my thinking is, especially with the with the Baldur's Gate, I think the thing that that impresses me the most about it, because the shared Windows services like this, uh, being able to rent a Windows machine, it's been around for a few years, right? It's been around since AWS actually started up. The biggest cost differential between uh, using a Windows machine and using a Linux machine on AWS is a license, because you have to pay for a, a Windows license if you're running a Windows machine. Mm-hmm. But the thing that impressed me the most is the fact that with something like Baldur's Gate, which is, or any of the online games, 
what is so incredibly important for those to succeed is uh, a lack, if you will, of latency. The, the yeah. display works, that the interface works, that uh, you can display high-resolution graphics in cl as close to real-time as is possible, that you can get the keystrokes and mouse clicks there as quickly as they need to get. Um, I think that has enabled a whole bunch. And when you think about it, so I did look at the pricing. And of course, you know, if you want to rent, quote-unquote, um, a Windows machine from AWS or from Azure, uh, you know, you're talking on the order of uh, about 90 to 150 bucks a month. Mm. But if you're a business, um, as you pointed out last week, uh, that means that, you know, a bunch of stuff just gets taken care of for you. Uh, there's no upgrade. You're not looking at an upgrade to your machine that isn't going to get handled for you at some point. Um, it's It's just, you're not sinking... Uh, cost into hardware that you're going to have to dispose of someday. Uh, so for some businesses, I think it's going to make a lot of a lot of sense. Uh, it's not there for you know the average consumer by any stretch, not yet, not that kind of cost. But it's getting close because when you think about it, say it's ninety bucks a month, you know, so you're talking eleven hundred bucks a year. Well, depending on what kind of a computer you're used to using at home, uh, you could easily spend that much amortized over the life of your computer. Uh, so. Who knows? And what you're getting oh, online yeah. is is can be very very spiffy. And what one of the things that honestly, I wish how do I want to put it? I really it tempts me sometimes because you know yes I have a fast internet connection here, but it's still not data center fast. And what I what I just have this vision of is you know backing up my Dropbox uh, to a machine in a data center. Well. You can reload the entire, in my case, almost two terabytes worth of, of Dropbox, you know, probably in a few minutes rather than a day, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. When I set up a new Dropbox. So that stuff is kind of tempting. Obviously, it doesn't meet the uh, uh, the cost benefit for me. But I just find that fascinating that, you know, we're going back to that kind of thing and that it's becoming real for a lot of businesses. And I'm sure a lot of large businesses, it could make a whole lot of sense. Well, yeah. And, and now the price, I think, can come down a lot more. I mean, if I'm playing Baldur's Gate mm -hmm. on the highest end NVIDIA, you right. know, service, 20 right. bucks a month. Yep. Now I can't, it, I can't do regular windows. I, I looked into it. I was like, they have a list of all the games. And I'm like, is there like a little, you know, at the end of that list, is there a, you know, windows, uh, you know, 11 basic right, or something, right, right. <laughs> you know, cause I was like, that would be neat if I could do that. If I'm paying 20 bucks a month. Maybe they'll let me do that. Uh, it wasn't there. But I essentially am using probably more power than right. what somebody wants to like work in Windows and you know write a Word document and and browse the web with Edge, um, you know. So, so theoretically, I don't know if it's a licensing issue or whatever, but theoretically, it shouldn't be ninety or one hundred twenty dollars a month. It should be the twenty dollars a month that I'm playing, you know, paying to play Baldur's Gate. Do you know um, if the Baldur's Gate that you're actually running is it running on a Windows machine? I ha I'm pretty sure it does because one of the things that comes up when I when I launch it mm -hmm. and I hit go to hit the play button, there's two checkboxes and one is DirectX and the other is like the other option. I forget what it's called. I haven't looked into, mm -hmm. but I'm like, well, okay, so that's a Windows thing. Right. Interesting. You know, yeah. Because licensing, like I said, it's the big pricing differentiator for, um, you know, if you're just comparing equivalent pieces of hardware, the Linux option is always significantly cheaper than the Windows option. And it's just because of the license. But I don't know what what these guys have done for you with with gaming machines. That is kind yeah, of Yeah, cool. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have, you know, when I launch it, it does all this stuff and it takes me to, you know, a certain, like a certain uh, part of the way to launching the game. Mm -hmm. where I got the play button and it says, you know, Baldur's Gate, but right. it's Steam and log on to Steam and all of that. Right. And so it's doing a bunch of steps automatically. Like right. I can't stop the process for, you know, getting to this point. Right. So there's something going on there, but it, it but, you know, it, it does show that in theory, it should be possible if I can play Baldur's Gate like this, mm -hmm. that I should be able to just also pop, you know, Windows open. Now, one of the problems may be that, you know, Baldur's Gate saves the game state to Steam, uh, you know, over the cloud. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to know, have anything stored, right? All it needs to know is my login information mm -hmm. and that it logs in and it gets my saved game from the cloud. 
if I was doing Windows, I would probably have to have some sort of storage space, right? So it would be the kind of thing where can you configure Windows to only have, you know, OneDrive, you know, right. and there is no local storage because that's what would be needed. You you would need to be able to go and say, yeah, right. and here are my Word documents and my Excel documents and my stuff. Yeah, uh, the, it, an the answer to the question, of course, is that no, Windows absolutely requires some amount of local storage. Exactly. You dial, so they, You could dial it way back and you could still do all of your documents in something like OneDrive, but... Um, yeah, you're right. There's they there's need to there. they need to figure it out. It, I think it's not like it's technically impossible now. I oh, think it's just it's just a little bit of like probably a bunch of departments of Microsoft and maybe a bunch of third party companies need to come together to actually get it done. Um, but you know, you're talking about you know how it is funny how it's like back in the old days of time sharing. Mm -hmm. There's other stuff like the like the document we're both staring at right now mm -hmm. in Google Drive. Right. Technically, the word processor is a lot of JavaScript in the browser. Right. Yeah. But it, it's also a big part of it is on the server, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like a hybrid. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of other things that work that way as well on computers. Even just the cloud services we're talking about are kind of a hybrid uh, of like server storage that we're accessing and local storage being used as a cache. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we had we did go like full circle from uh, the you know computers being all somewhere else, and you just have a dumb terminal, right? And then also, uh, and then to computers being not at all anywhere else. Like there wasn't even a network, right? right. You get to the eighties, <laughs> right, right. and it's like unless you're logging, you know, one of the people logging into bulletin board systems, you're isolated, completely isolated. And I think it was because all of a sudden computers, it's like the, the processors got faster and the capabilities got better. And it was like, this stuff can't be, there's no network that can handle this at the time. Right. So now everything has to go offline. And and then we had online again, but it's it wasn't fast enough. The computers were now editing video and playing games. It just could not be done online. And now finally, the speed of online is catching up where we have streaming television. We have streaming game services. We have you know all this stuff and it, it is possible to you know in the future some point you know it might be a 99 dollars computer that all it really does is a dumb terminal right. and your real computer's rented space a lot of industries do that i mean remember the first cars were electric mm -hmm. right the earliest cars were electric and then it's like oh there's all this cool stuff we could do with cars if only we had better engines hey we do okay let's use uh you know gasoline engines instead right and then eventually electric electric engines or more importantly uh um batteries Let's see, it's the battery today. technology that did yeah it. Yep. and yep. now it's coming back around right so now we have like the continuation of electric cars from the original cars you know coming back around because a key technology improved in that case it was battery tech in this case it's uh you know uh network technology so it'll be interesting to see if it does, you know, do we come up with new things computers can do that move them ahead of uh, network technology and keep lots of stuff local or does network technology continue to be the area? So, so will this be a, a leapfrogging type thing? It'll be interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would love, I would love for it actually to be more, you know, if, if we had a lot of network capability everywhere and it was easier to uh, not obsess over, over like the specs of your personal computer mm -hmm. and everybody getting these personal computers manufactured and, and buying new ones every few years and stuff. And it was just like, no, nope, you buy a terminal and the improvement that's on the server end. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. We'll see. Well, I'm not going to run out and rent a computer just yet, but I think that, uh, like I said, it's it's a thing and it could easily. The other thing I was going to mention, by the way, is that I suspect that one of the reasons we don't see it at a lower price is they're not targeting us. They're targeting um, uh, the uh, uh, the business market easily, uh, you know, folks with deeper pockets and probably, you know, higher requirements than the average user. So yeah. anyway. I did want to show a very small um, uh, funny about AI mm -hmm. uh, just because you were leading with all of this new stuff from Apple. I decided, you know, let's ask um, AI mm -hmm. if there's anything going on 
right now that isn't Apple related, right? Yeah. Apple tends to dominate the the news on days like this. So yeah. of course, chat GPT won't, it'll tell you right away that, you know, I'm sorry, I've just, I've got data from three years ago. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you anything new. Um, as it turns out, um, Bard gave me an answer. Yeah. The question that I asked was, what's the biggest non-Apple tech news story today? And it gave me a list of, I think, one, two, three, four, five different stories, which is kind of cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh, the fifth one was really interesting. It says, Twitter has sued Elon Musk, alleging that he is trying to back out of his agreement to buy the company, which mm -hmm. is like a year old, over a year old. Yeah. Which I thought, okay. That's an interesting definition of today. Yeah. Okay. And of course, it also means then that I'm not going to take the previous, um, you know, items in the list seriously at all, at least not without a lot of fact checking. So I just thought that was funny. I did the same thing over at Bing and Bing said, yeah, no, I don't do news. So um, yeah, Bard, don't ask for anything fresh. It'll give you an answer. It just may not be right, which seems to be the, uh, the theme for AI these days. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. That is a little uh little weird. But I mean I guess by a definition of today, it is correct, <laughs> right? Correct, yes. This day in history. Oh, oh, I didn't I didn't do that. I wonder if there's like a uh, you know, was it um, you know, September the twelfth that something like that happened. That oh happened. no, I was assuming that. I was assuming that it was Oh no, I, I was just assuming 12th. it was I was just assuming it was randomly wrong. I didn't think about the correlate potential correlation. Well, yeah, it. yeah, it must have no, because it, it was about a year ago. That would have been a headline. So I'd be I Ooh. I assume Ooh. that it was a headline for September twelfth, twenty twenty two. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Be careful, careful what you ask computers. They may give you an answer that's so right that it's wrong. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so on to things that are cool. So I got tired of reading nonfiction uh, for a while. I, I needed a break. And I ended up doing this thing where I just sort of looked at, I don't know, some random list of popular sci-fi stuff and what's good, what's recent, because I haven't, you know, I've done all the old masters. I want to see some more, um, some more recent stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the lists had a book called Ancillary Justice, which is the first book in a trilogy. And it's by Anne Leckie, or Leckie, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, so I went to buy it and uh, Amazon told me that I already owned it. Uh, because my wife had beaten me to it by about five years. Mm. Um, anyway, I've been reading it. I'm about 80% of the way through. I It really is, it took me a while to warm up to this book, um, but it's getting very interesting. It is um, not necessarily your sci-fi shoot 'em up It is a lot of, so far, I will call political intrigue, um, but there are some very interesting uh, technological concepts in the book that I think are making it very interesting to find out, okay, what happens next? What happens next? Uh, the, the fundamental concept, the protagonist in the um, story is a ship an a, you know, an, an intelligent and self-aware ship, a battleship, I think it is, but they also have what they call ancillaries, which are uh, humans or human bodies, at least, that have been repurposed to hold the um, uh, the, the uh, awareness of that same entity. And they can have multiples of them, and they are in constant contact. So it's like one entity with a dozen, thousand bodies spread out across some random range. Um, and there's just some really, really interesting side effects of that approach that um, I'm finding very interesting to uh, to read through. Anyway, like I said, I'm 80% of the way through it. Um, I've decided I like it enough to call it cool. Ancillary <laughs> justice. Cool. Well, you had mentioned earlier uh, whether or not you'd be continuing with Apple TV yes. Plus. So I'll mention Apple TV Plus show. Mm -hmm. um, actually, there's two seasons of this. It's called The After Party. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a mystery show, but the mystery stretches over the entire season. And there are two mm -hmm. seasons. Uh, so one murder. And what happens is that 
each episode, you get to hear the events of the evening leading up to and, you know, the murder from each of the suspects' viewpoints. So um, it stars uh, Tiffany Haddish and she plays the detective. And she basically just wants, you know, wants to hear everything that happened to the person leading up to, you know, the murder. So they tell their whole story of what went on, what they saw, what they did, what they observed other people doing and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But and usually what they do is they start talking and then it goes to, you know, the reenactment that you see of what went on. And the style is different for every person. The style or just the camera angles? The style. Really? So if one person, like one person was really into music and it was like their whole thing, suddenly like that episode was like a musical. <laughs> Another <laughs> one was really into comic books or was uh-huh. actually a comic book artist. The the thing, it was done animated. There, you know, other another one was like somebody's just super overly dramatic or in, uh, into soap operas or mm-hmm. uh, Hitchcock films or whatever. So the ep- now it's not like the whole ep- like they break away and then they come back forty five minutes later, they'll they'll go back and there's other things that are going on. People, other uh, suspects talking to each other and trying mm-hmm. to figure things out. So it's kind of intertwined in order to keep things moving along. And it does a really good job of that. But you know, first you have the fun of trying to figure out like what style is this <laughs> is this in. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it takes a few minutes to figure out. It's like oh, like there's one episode in season two that's all Wes Anderson. Like it's a Wes Anderson movie because <laughs> the character is very much that type of person. Right. So when she starts telling the story, all of a sudden, everything is of that style. Um, and it's really cool. And then the whole mystery is solved uh, because the detective hears all of these stories. And you are actually hearing every piece of evidence you need to actually figure out who did it. Okay. okay. But there's yeah. so much information. Yes. And she appears to be just so like, you know, you don't get any clues from her about it until the end when she says, well, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that, so-and-so said this, and it all comes together. And you're like, boy, those were all things that we heard, right? but there's so much information. It's like she grabbed onto the pieces that were important because a lot of it is just extra made up stuff because everybody's in their own head. It was really interesting because it, it goes back to some stuff we've talked about in the past on the show about memory. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about books and stuff that have done, you know, and memory is unreliable and all that. Oh, this goes into that major. You see sometimes the same scene played out several times in the season and you see what one person thought was said and done. And then you see what another person thought was said and done and they're different. Right. And, but you could see, oh, this person's a very dramatic person. And of course, that's what they would remember. And this right. person's a very suspicious person. Of course, what that's what they would remember. And this person was obsessed with this, you know. So, so sometimes what you see and what you think is not at all what happened. You know, when you get to that person telling their own story or somebody else telling it or anything. So there's two, there's two seasons, so there's two mysteries uh, with the same detective, and a couple of the same characters end up going between both seasons. But for the most part. They're different. It's a whole different thing, a whole different situation in each season. It's a lot of fun. If you like detective stuff, it's it was a refreshing take, and each episode was it was just fun to watch. It was a nice a nice touch there to get this discussion of a murder mystery with a siren in the background. That was cool. Yeah, well, sorry about that. <laughs> and, and, and 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 we and I should add, of course, is that if you uh, watch, uh, if you do decide to watch this, mm-hmm. and you you get all the way to episode nine of season two mm-hmm. you're going to recognize somebody in that oh interesting interesting um i have to say one of the things you you mentioned is one of the things i appreciate out of some mysteries whether they be a book or a show or whatever and that is um you're given all the clues along the way not all stories are told that way mm-hmm. sometimes you know at the very end um, the uh, uh, you know the protagonist will pull something out of the air that turns out to explain everything um, that you never you know you as as a reader or as as, as a, a, a visual a person watching it would never have been able to deduce the actual answer. Whereas, like it said, it sounds like this one gives you all yeah. the information. So that it you does. Could if I, you would. 
I think it's impossible, probably in retrospect, impossible to figure it out on your own because there's too much information. But those things are there. At the end, they don't say something that's like, well, what, you know, this person was doing this. And it's like, yes, I saw that. (laughs) They showed us that. So they weren't hiding it from us. It's just that there's a lot of stuff. Anyway, it's, uh, it was decent. So I'll, I'll make it my, ain't it cool for the week. Cool. Uh, let's see. So it's time for some blatant self-promotion. What I want to point people at this week is an interesting article. What should I do if I lose access to my password vault? It's askleo.com slash 162479. One of the objections that I get to using a password vault is this fear that if you lose access to your vault, say you forget your master password, that's the the classic Mm -hmm. uh, case, um, that you're in trouble no, you're not in trouble. You are inconvenienced, definitely, but you are absolutely not in trouble. You actually haven't lost anything. Um, And I think that that's a very important thing to understand just because it's so important to uh, increase your uh, security and safety by using the password vault. So Mm -hmm. what should I do if I lose access to my password vault? Cool. I'll point to a video called Why You Should Consider an Online Backup. (laughs) I often mention that I use an online backup uh, in addition to Time Machine to back up my Mac. And I get asked about that a lot. Oh, should I be doing that? Should I not be doing that? I hear people doing it that shouldn't be doing it and all that. So I just, I thought I'd make a handy video uh, just to show the reasons why you would, may want to consider having an online backup. Very cool. Are you backing up your data or your entire system? Uh, just uh, all the files. I mean, cool. so I'm not backing up, I guess, the operating system. Right, right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it just... Yeah. Don't pick and choose. You know, I, I hate, I hate that. I've learned not to do that. You don't go mm-hmm. and pick and choose, but you're backing up. Just say, back up all my files. Right. And eh, if I'm backing up too much, that's, that's not really a problem. Better too much than too little. Exactly. So I think that pretty much does it for yet another week. The show mm-hmm. notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh203. If you've got a comment or a question, leave a comment on that show notes page. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again real soon. Bye-bye. Bye.